0: If you'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7 in your copy of God's word, we're going to look at the second half of this chapter, this Lord's Day. If you were with us uh, last week, we looked at God's covenant to David. If you were with us, you'll recall that uh, David desired to build a house for the Lord. He he wanted to build uh, a temple in which to house the ark of God. Uh, He turns to Nathan the prophet, Nathan affirms the desire of his heart, but that evening, uh, God comes to Nathan with a word for David, and that word is no. He told him he would not build the temple, that he would not build the house for him. Instead, God says, David, I'm going to build a house for you, I'm going to build a dynasty, a legacy, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and through that covenant, ultimately will come a throne that is eternal he makes a commitment, a promise to David that from David will come one who will rule for all eternity. It's pointing us forward, God, there to the gospel of our Lord Jesus who reigns for all eternity. And so David now in today's passage will respond to that word from the Lord. He'll respond to being told no and being given this great covenant promise from God. And he'll respond as we should respond to God's word. Through prayer and so we're going to look at David's prayer in verses 18 through 29 and add a reverence for God's word now that you're nice and comfortable if you don't mind to stand once more if you're able we stand because this this is the holy word of God handed down to us and this is what that word says then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet it was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is the instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart. You have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods, and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel and that house of your servant David will be established before you for you O Lord of hosts the God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant saying I will build you a house therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you and now O Lord God you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you, O Lord God, for this word. And we thank you for your promise. We thank you for the covenant that we have read about in Second Samuel 7. We thank you for the covenant that you have indeed kept. We thank you for the cross of Jesus our lord and king who sits on the throne for all eternity and we pray god in this time we have as we consider this prayer that you might help us to pray that you might help us to learn how to pray in a way that centers on you and on your promises and on your covenants father help us and grow us in our faith today we ask in jesus name amen you may be seated Several years ago, LifeWay Research, an extension of the Southern Baptist Convention, they did a a study on prayer. And in this study, they asked just Americans, not necessarily Christians, certainly not Baptists, but just people in our country in general, they asked them about prayer, their thoughts on prayer, how often they prayed, what they prayed for. Eighty percent of the people they surveyed acknowledged that they prayed on some type of regular basis, some several times a week, some several times a day. And what I found interesting wasn't so much how many of them prayed, but what they prayed for. For example, uh, less than 12% of them said they prayed for government officials. Now, 1 Timothy 2 were were instructed to do that very thing, but very few of the people surveyed did that. And yet 21%, almost twice that number, uh, said they had prayed to win the lottery, (laughs) Over 60% said that they had never prayed for their enemies or for people who had mistreated them. Uh, Again, an instruction that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5. But 15% said that they had prayed more than once that something bad they'd done wouldn't be discovered. (laughs) The research team concluded through these questions and many others that this was their conclusion. They wrote, most people pray when they need a red phone for help. But their prayer life isn't a habit rooted in a relationship with God. And I would say from reading the survey, it's also not a habit that was rooted in the Scripture at all. Now again, this survey was not done among believers, Baptists, any certain denomination. It was just people in general asking them about prayer. But I wonder what the results would have been had this survey been of professing believers. Been of Southern Baptist. If that survey was just among us today, how, how would we respond to it? How different would our answers look? What would we find? Would we find that we prayed more often? Would we find that we prayed more biblically? Or would we find that we struggle at times to pray at all? I mean, after all, we live in a day and age where we are quick to say that we will pray. <laughs> Or maybe already this morning someone has shared with you a concern in their life or something that's going on and you've said I'm going to pray for you or maybe they've shared something that's been going on and you said I've been praying for you but let me ask you have you ever said that and then not prayed that little praying hands emoji that's that's not a guarantee that we're actually praying is it it seems that our response so often when someone shares something going on, some suffering, some illness, some death, some grief in their life, we're, we're very quick to say, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. But the question is, are we actually praying? And if we are, what are we praying? Are our prayers just an extension of our, our feelings, our desires, or are they rooted in something more? Well, I think what we find in God's Word is that our prayers should be rooted in the Word of God, that God's Word teaches us how to pray. Of course, we have passages like the Lord's Prayer, where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, and He says, here's how you are to pray. We, we have models like that, instruction like that for us. Throughout the New Testament, we have instructions and commands on when you pray, pray this way, or pray for this. And then we also have, throughout God's Word, examples of prayer. Prayers like the one that we have in 2 Samuel 7, a prayer from David that is a response to God's word. So I think we can learn from this as we consider how it is that we should pray. And hopefully one of the things that you already recognized as I read this passage or perhaps as you read in preparation for today this passage, hopefully something that you've already seen is that David's prayer is entirely rooted in who God is and what God has done and what God's going to do. David's prayer is not a laundry list of wants and needs. David's prayer is not a a red phone that he picks up at a time of desperation trying to get a word through. No, David's prayer is a God-centered prayer. And friends, I believe our prayers should be God-centered prayers as well. So how do we pray God-centered prayers? Well, that's a great question. And I'm glad you asked it this morning. Because that's what we're going to talk about. So if you'll turn your attention there to your outline and to 2 Samuel 7, let's look at that question that you've asked so well. How do we pray God-centered prayers? Well, first, we need to remember God's promises. We begin by remembering God's promises. Now, remember again the context. The context here is... God has done so much of what He said He would do for David. And He has established a house for David. And here's David living in this palace. And he looks out and he sees a tent. Now, that tent is where the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, has been placed there in Jerusalem. And David looks on that and he desires to build a house for God. And he looks at his own surroundings. He looks at where the Ark is and, and he notices Something's out of sorts here. Yeah, this is the Ark of God. This is the Ark of the Covenant. We, we need to build a palace for the Ark, a temple for the Ark. And he shares this with Nathan. And Nathan says, do whatever's in your heart. But then God comes to Nathan and gives Nathan a word for David. And that word is no. No, David, you're not going to build a house for God. But God is going to build a house for you. And then he outlines for David this, this great covenant this Davidic covenant that it points us directly to the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That a descendant will sit on the throne and will reign for all eternity. He's going to build a name and a dynasty and a house for David. And so, David is now responding to this. Hey, he's responding to God telling him know, he And he's responding to God making this covenant promise with him. And the scripture tells us in verse 18 that, that he responded by going and sitting before the Lord. Now, most commentators I read assume that that means that David went into that tent. That he went there before the ark, and that he, he sat before the ark. He sat before the presence of God. And so the context here is that here's David sitting in this tent that he wanted to replace, that he wanted to build with something grander. But there he is, sitting in that tent, in the presence of Almighty God. And his response to God is prayer. God has spoken to him through Nathan. And now he's responding to God through prayer. The very first thing he says to God, verse 18, is this. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David begins his prayer by Acknowledging that God's covenant that he's just made with him is rooted not in who David is or what David has done. It is rooted entirely on who God is and what God has done. God is the one who has brought David thus far. And David does not before God go before God with a list of his accomplishments. <laughs> David doesn't say before God, well, God, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, so maybe you could do this for me. No, he goes acknowledging and understanding rightly that the reason he's where he is is entirely by the providence and the promise of God. Friends, do you consider this morning that the reason you are where you are, that you're sitting right here today, it is not of your own doing? It's because of the providence and the promise of God. that The sovereign God who created all things is actively involved in the intimate details of your life and in my life. And that God who is the creator of all things is a God who not only makes promises, but He keeps His promises. And, and that seems to be, I believe, what David is focusing on here. Because God had made a promise to bring David to this place. And he had made that promise decades before. David was a teenager coming in from the fields where he had been watching his father's flocks. And here he comes as one who'd been among the livestock and he walks in among his brothers and his fathers. And there's Samuel. And Samuel gives this word from God to him. And Samuel tells him that he is going to be king over the people. Samuel tells David that God is making him a promise. And now, decades later, David sits in that tent before the ark of God in the presence of God. And he prays and he begins his prayer by acknowledging that God is a God who keeps His promise. God had brought David thus far, just like He promised He would do. David's no longer living in caves, he's living in a castle. He's taken this young shepherd And he's put him over the flock of all of God's people. God made a promise and God kept a promise. And David acknowledges that all that's happened in his life is because of this promise. Verse 19, this promise, David notes, is about what God is going to do among David's descendants, among his household. So it's not just a promise that's been made and kept, it's a promise of what is going to happen. And so David's first response to this covenant is to acknowledge, God, you you kept your promise to me. You're going to keep your promise to my descendants. God, you are a promise-keeping God. Verse 21, David prays, Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. And there is none like you. And there is no God beside you. According to all we have heard with our ears. David says God has done great things. And God will do great things. Why? Because God is a great God. He's a God who keeps His promise. So how do we today pray God-centered prayers? Well, we need to remember God's promises if you have turned on the news in recent days there are no shortage of things for us to be concerned about right now we have on the other side of the globe chaos in afghanistan and the murder of american soldiers among many others there's a Category 4 hurricane barreling towards New Orleans that is estimated to be the greatest storm to hit the state of Louisiana since 1850 and possibly far exceed the damage that happened from Hurricane Katrina. There's this global pandemic <laughs> that won't seem to go away. And so hospitals are at capacity in turning people away. ICUs are filled with people. And just the whole topic of COVID is probably one of the most polarizing things that you or I have ever experienced with people being so strong and opinionated in whatever side they may fall regarding this disease, whether it is a disease, where it came from, how to respond to it, what our responsibilities are. When well, we look around and we are surrounded by Complete and absolute chaos. And there is no shortage of things to overwhelm us. And that's just the things going on out there in the world among everybody. Then we have the concerns in our own lives. Concerns that maybe others know about you. Concerns that maybe they don't know about you. Concerns about your health and the health of people you love. Grief, loss, suffering. Burdens that overwhelm us financial concerns, job concerns, family concerns, worries about our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews. It can all be so overwhelming. What do we do in the midst of all that? How do we respond to all this anxiety and worry and concern and burden? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we're given this word. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does is, what is God promise in that passage? Does Philippians 4, does God promise here, don't be anxious about anything because God's just going to take all those anxieties away from you. He's going to fix it all in a moment's notice. The hurricane will just disappear. The global pandemic will just disappear. Wars, struggles, diseases, suffering, they're all just going to be gone the moment you pray. Is that what God promises? No. But what He promises in the midst of all these things that overwhelm us and make us anxious, He promises that if we will pray and we will thank Him, And we will submit ourselves to Him and we will bring these requests before Him that He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will do what makes no sense to the world around us, which surpasses all human understanding, that He will give us a peace. A peace in the midst of all these things. A peace which He says will will guard our hearts and our minds. Maybe some of you say, well, Pastor, I've, I've prayed and I'm not at peace right now. Does that mean God's not a God who keeps his promise? Maybe it means that your prayers aren't rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what this passage says. It says he's going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God doesn't tell us here, hey, just come to me as a last resort. I mean, think about that. Think, think about how often we say something along the lines of, "Well, we've done everything we can do. Let's just, let's just. We got to leave it to God now." But think about that for a moment. We've done everything we can do. So now we can entrust it to the Almighty Creator God, who spoke everything from nothing who holds all this together, who if for a moment took his hand off the universe, we would spiral out of control, who gives us every breath that we have, every moment we have, after we have exhausted our resources, then we're going to trust in God? Perhaps we've gotten things a bit upside down. And perhaps we need to start with We're going to trust God. I believe that's what we're being taught there in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious. Don't be quick to try to fix it. Don't come to God after you've exhausted all your resources. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be burdened. Why? Come to God first and foremost and trust in Him through the gospel of Jesus, through the Word of God, according to what He has said to us. Respond to Him and make your request known. And then he gives this peace. And, and some of you know exactly what that peace is. You have suffered or you are suffering through something that the world around us would say that that should put you at your limit. Perhaps some people would say, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how you make it through this. I don't know how you're dealing so well with this. And the answer, of course... For us, is the same answer as it was for David here. Well, it's, it's not what I've done. It's, it's what God has done. It's a peace that God gives. It surpasses all understanding and is rooted in Jesus. That's one promise, by the way. There are many, many others. And so we should begin and we should end our prayers by remembering these promises. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, beginning in verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in Him, in Jesus, and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Well, what's the promise there? We were saved and we were sealed. A promise was made and a promise was kept. So we have a guarantee now. And that guarantee is not voided out by the chaos of our world. COVID. Cancer. Disease. Suffering. Hurricanes. Wars. Rumors of wars. None of these things void out the guarantee that God has given. That. That. We have been saved and we have been sealed. That's a future promise of what is to come based on what already has happened. We have been saved. We have been sealed. Therefore, one day we will acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We will go to heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. We will spend eternity with our King Jesus. Because God's made a promise and God keeps his promise promises so pray according to these things remember his promises how do we pray god-centered prayers we remember his promises point two be thankful for god's provision be thankful for his provision and so along with remembering his promises david here considers how god has provided for his people in this prayer david recalls what god did for his people during the exodus He says that God did this in response to the people that prayed, if you'll remember our study of Exodus. God heard their cry and then He responded. They were slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God and He answered them and He rescued them from their slavery. And how did He do that? Verse 23, David says, by doing great and awesome things. (laughs) He brought plagues on the Egyptians. He, He parted the sea for his people to walk through he he rained manna from heaven to feed them he brought water from a rock to quench their thirst over and over and over again all along the way in the exodus we see how god provides for his people so david says god did all of this verse 24 he made israel a great nation he gave them the land of promise that he had committed to them he Wiped out from them, before them, their enemies. He established them to be his people, and he blessed them. Again, you'll notice David's prayer here isn't, well, God, if you could just do this for me. If you could do this for me, and do this for me, and do this for me. No, he, his prayer is rooted in, God, this, this is what you've done. This is who you are. You promised and you kept your promise. You, you provided for your people every step of the way. I think for us, it, it's a reminder that in our prayers, it's important not just to remember God's promises, but, but for us to be thankful for how God has provided for us. And so what, what do we thank God for? Where do we start? Well, the Exodus is a good place. That's where David starts. And you know, the exodus is a picture for us of what God has done in our own lives. God's people were slaves in Egypt. Romans 6.20 says that we were slaves to sin. God sent Moses to deliver his people out of their slavery and take them to the land of promise. John 3.17 says that God sent His Son in order that the world might be saved through Him, that He might deliver us from our slavery and take us to a land of promise. The the Exodus that David recalls here is the story of how the Israelites were saved, but remember, for the Israelites to be saved, that they had to respond to God's provision. They had to walk out Of Egypt, They had to trust God and go through the waters of the Red Sea. They had to trust God and walk by faith with Him in that journey to the land of promise. That's a picture, friends, of what God has done and is doing among us today. He has saved us out of our slavery to sin. He has taken us through those waters of baptism. And we are on our way to the land of promise. And there is so much there for us to thank God for. And if you're a genuine follower of Jesus today, then then that should be foundational in the way that you pray. That that response to God, of what God has done for us, fundamentally His provision for us in salvation. Yes, there's so many other ways He's provided for us. Where we're here today because He's provided a way for us. But it all begins foundationally with understanding how he's provided salvation. And then there's so many other things. I mean, just take a moment today and consider all the ways God has provided for you. In fact, I'm going to give you homework this morning. (laughs) Go home today and perhaps over lunch with your family or friends or perhaps... Just devotionally tonight before you go to bed, just take out a piece of paper and just write down five things that you need to thank God for and how he's provided for you. I've given you the first one already if you're saved. If you're not saved, then you can thank God for the opportunity to hear the gospel today. And then you can pray and repent and trust in Jesus. So you can thank him, number one, for the gospel, and then two, you can thank him that he saved you. So either way, start there. And just consider for a moment ways that God has provided. And then pray in response to those things. Write them down. Count your blessings. And consider the many ways God has provided for you. How do we pray God-centered prayers? Remember God's promises. Be thankful for His provision. And third, trust in His plan. In this final section of David's prayer, he focuses on placing his trust in God's plan. Verse 26, David asks the Lord confirm that the word that God had spoken concerning David and his house. Essentially, what David is saying to God in this closing part of his prayer is, God, do what you said you would do. You're a God who has done what you said you would do you're God who's provided in great ways. And so, God, now I trust you to do what you said you would do. He's trusting that God's going to build this house, this dynasty. That God's going to do all that He promised to do, that He's going to bless David's house forever. Verse 29, Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. God said to David, I'm going to bless your house forever. David responds to God by saying, God, do what you said you're going to do. I trust you. I wonder, though, in that moment, what David was trusting God for. Like, I mean, how much of this did he fully grasp and understand in that moment? We know from the scripture and from the Psalms, he, he grasped quite a bit. <laughs> but, but did David realize every detail of history that would unfold? That, that that line of descendants that would sit on the throne for him would only last about 400 years? As I mentioned last week, you can read more about that in a Second. Kings 25, but Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, would be the last king in the line of David to sit on that throne before that Babylonian captivity, and they haul him off as a captive. He dies in Babylon, thus ends the throne and the reign of David's family. But it doesn't. (laughs) Because all these promises are, are pointing forward to a descendant that will come from David's line. Who will reign on a throne but will reign for all eternity? They're all pointing to Jesus. I don't know how much of that David understood when he prayed in this passage, and with your blessings shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. But his house was blessed forever, wasn't it? And his house is blessed forever. Even though David might not have understood all the particulars of the plan and the way it would unfold, he was trusting in the promises of God, even if he could not understand every aspect of that promise. And, friends, we're called to do the same today. Though there are many questions that you may have, I can tell you personally, there's a whole lot of questions I have. <laughs> about the details of God's plan and how that plan unfolds, about difficulties that come in our life and why those things are there and why this calamity and this suffering in this person's life, and yet seemingly this one over here who doesn't trust you, doesn't follow you, it seems like everything's great for them and this one's suffering, and why this and why this and why this? I, I don't understand all the details. And and I don't know all the details. I mean, I've heard a number of people say in recent days, months, years, you know, this everything that's going on, this must be the end. I mean, look at the world today. I, I don't know if this is the end. I know it can get a whole lot worse than this if you're a student of history. I mean, this is pretty mild considering what has happened in our world. I, I don't know all the details. I don't know what's to come. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, much less the next day, the next year, the next decade. I don't know these things, but but that's not what God calls us to, is it? God doesn't say I'm going to give you every detail of everything that's ever going to happen, and then I'm going to ask you to trust in me. God says, here's the big picture. I'm the God who saves, I'm the God who's saving, I'm the God who will save. I'm the God who's kept His promises, is keeping His promises, and will keep His promises. Will you trust in me? And that's the question for us, I believe, in response to God's Word. Today, will we trust in Him? God speaks to David through Nathan. Able to respond to God in prayer. Friends, God has spoken to us today through His Word. And now we have the opportunity to respond to Him. And so let's do that together. If you would stand with me as I pray for us and as we come to this time of response. Father, we thank You that You're a God who keeps His Word. And what Your Word tells us is that if we will confess Jesus as Lord and if we believe in our heart that You raised Jesus from the dead, that we will be saved. That if we put our trust in You if we repent and turn from our sin, You save us, You seal us, and You guarantee our salvation for all eternity. You don't tell us that we'll never be anxious. You tell us that when we are anxious to come before you with that anxiety and that worry and to pray and to trust in you and that you will give us peace through Jesus Christ that surpasses all understanding. So I pray for that peace for us today. I pray for those who are with us this morning who are overwhelmed by anxiety and worry and burdens that you will give them peace through Jesus. I pray for anyone here this morning, Father, who's just trying to fix everything on their own and then as a last resort they come to you in prayer. I pray they would stop in this moment and turn to you and trust in you first and foremost. I pray that our response today would be one of genuine thanksgiving for all the ways you have provided and trust in all the ways you will provide. I pray, God, that our prayers would become more and more centered on who you are, what you have done, and what you are going to do. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, our King Jesus, amen. Friends, we're going to sing together now in response to God's word about the grace of God, which indeed is greater than all our sin. And as we sing, we do invite you to respond uh, through singing, through worship, through praying, through repenting. And we invite you to come, if God's leading, to start the process it might be for you of joining this church fellowship. It may be coming to confess Christ as Lord and continuing in obedience and baptism. It may be you just need someone to pray with you this morning, and I'd be honored to do that. And so we invite you to come, we invite you to sing as we all respond together to God's word.